Hello, it's David here. Thank you for listening to the Leader Coronavirus Daily. It would be a really big help if you could subscribe to the show and give us a rating. That way, more people will discover our news, interviews, analysis and special features. And let us know you're listening. Say hi using the hashtag The Leader Podcast on social media. It would be lovely to meet you. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader Coronavirus Daily. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Three more weeks at least. The lockdown carries on. That was the one bit of news today that has been not, not, not a surprise at all. What was unexpected was the way people are now demanding this exit strategy. Our political editor Joe Murphy as the government confirms the lockdown goes on, but where is the plan to end it? Also... I'm going to issue an executive order that says all people in public must have a mask and they must wear it in a situation where you cannot or are not maintaining social distancing. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's forcing people to wear face masks in public. We speak to a Cambridge University expert who thinks the UK should take notice. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the Leader Coronavirus Daily. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, a longer lockdown. But what's next? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Germany is the latest country in Europe to lay out how it will come out of lockdown. Some shops will reopen on Monday, with schools to follow at the start of May, but large gatherings are still banned until the end of August. Angela Merkel gave a detailed press conference explaining her decisions, but in the UK, the lockdown's being extended without any clear plan on how it will end. The Evening Standard's editorial column says it's time for that to be answered. As the law requires, ministers are announcing that our lockdown will continue for another three weeks. That's essential and uncontroversial. But this is surely the last time an extension will be generally acceptable to people, without a much clearer explanation of how and why the decision has been made. The restrictions work, not just because they are being enforced by the law, 
but because the vast majority of us think they are needed and almost all of us are doing our best to comply. It is an act of collective endeavour for the national good. This cannot be sustained by the random utterings of ministers or the anonymous thoughts of special advisers. Something so immensely serious must be supported by a serious process. So where is it? Our political editor Joe Murphy joins me over the phone. And Joe, does the government have a secret exit strategy that it's hiding in Downing Street? Well, the lockdown carries on. That was the one bit of news today that has been not not, not a surprise at all. It's been well trailed. Um, what was unexpected was the way people are now in some quarters demanding this exit strategy be revealed or worked on. And I think the big noise off today was Professor Neil Ferguson from Imperial College London, who gave an interview in which he was quite outspoken, saying he wasn't certain that there was an exit strategy. And he pressed for an acceleration of decisions. And the direction that he wants the government to go in is as soon as numbers of cases are down to rock bottom, as near as they can get them, then to institute mass checking, mass contact tracing and mass tracking so that any future outbreaks are dealt with in the way that the Germans have been quite successfully doing it and the Koreans, um, finding them, isolating the people involved, isolating their contacts so that you don't allow things to overwhelm the NHS again. But that is a subject the government is just refusing to discuss. The Health Secretary says we have a message, it's stay at home, save lives, protect the NHS, and any other discussion would get in the way of that. There's no suggestion that the absence of Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, is perhaps delaying things. I think it has to be a factor because we've had Cabinet meet today with Dominic Raab chairing it, and we've got COBRA meeting this afternoon with Dominic Raab chairing that as well. And Dominic Raab, the First Secretary of State and the Foreign Secretary, big figure though he is now, he is not the Prime Minister. And if you are going to signal a really big change of or development in policy, you do need the Prime Minister to be in the discussion and on board because there is no point in him coming back from his sick leave and saying, actually, that's not what I want to do or maybe simply, actually, yes, that's what we're doing but the timing is wrong. Um, Now, the Prime Minister is obviously watching the TV at his uh, sick leave at Chequers, but we are told by number 10 he's not working, so he's not taking part in these um, intense discussions um, in a full way. One other issue has been around testing and the lack thereof of testing, but the government has stepped that up, haven't they, Joe? They have, and um, there was a target of 25,000 tests by mid-April, and another target of 100,000 tests a day by the end of this month, um, which have both produced a lot of scepticism. Um, well, today, Number 10 is saying that they've now got a capacity of 35,000 tests a day, having harnessed commercial testing laboratories, which account to 15,000 of those, the other 20,000 being the NHS and Public Health England's labs. Um, But there's a fly in this rather attractive-sounding ointment, which is that yesterday only 15,994 tests were actually carried out. 
Um, so that's a gap of, well, it's just half the capacity being used. Um, and I think people will be asking, why is that? Because surely there are lots of people who want to be tested, people in care homes who have just been given access, um, and people in the NHS who want to know if they've got symptoms or not. And you will be, I think people will be wondering, is this bad organisation rather than a lack of demand? And the truth is probably somewhere in between. And, and it is crucial because I could tell you that I've got the capacity to go out jogging, to lose weight, to tidy my spare room and all the other things that I ought to be doing. But unless I actually get around to doing them, then that capacity is pretty wasted. So we've got another three weeks in lockdown. At the end of this three weeks, are we expecting the government to say this is how we're going to get out? My view is that the government will be under a lot of pressure to start the dance of the seven veils, revealing how they're going to do that sometime before then. I think that will be irresistible and it will involve mass testing. Um, they're getting the capacity to 100,000 for a reason. Uh, I think it will involve an antibody test. Um, no country has yet um, got one that works well enough, um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, that is the direction that we're working in, and it's, it's clearly what the government thinks is worth developing. And it'll probably, according to all the experts I talked to, involve either certain sectors of, of the economy going back and certain groups like school children going back earlier than others, and maybe some regions returning to something more like normal um, faster than others. I say more like normal because actual normality won't happen until there's a vaccine, and that, well, a year or 18 months either away. Next. What they are saying is that there's no evidence to support use of face masks, but there's also no compelling evidence for hand washing. So if we're willing to go down one behavioural route, we're arguing that the same should apply for face masks. Dr Babak Javid from Cambridge and Tsinghua Universities on why the UK should become a nation of face mask wearers. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Your right to go out for a walk in the park, the dog is getting on your nerves, fine. Don't infect me. You don't have a right to infect me. You must have a mask or a cloth covering nose and mouth. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is taking a tough stand against coronavirus and those who might spread it. Break his new law, forcing you to wear a face mask in the state in public, and he's considering imposing civil penalties. In the UK, the masks became more popular as the virus began its spread, but there's division in the medical community over whether they work at all. 
I'm now joined over Zoom by Dr Babak Javid, who's both a consultant in infectious diseases at Cambridge University Hospitals and a professor at Tsinghua University in Beijing. Dr Javid, you want more people wearing face masks. Should the UK go the same route as New York and make it law? Obviously, I'm not a policy expert, but I can tell you from a scientific perspective, because the maximal benefit of the population wearing masks is, is if most people wear it, uh, measures that um, increase compliance would definitely improve the benefit because the benefit is mostly from protecting other people, not protecting yourself. So if a minority of individuals are wearing masks, we're only going to see very, very minor benefits from population mask wearing. But there does appear to be a confusing message from the scientific community. Some people, including the government's own advisors, say that masks are not necessary and they don't work. We have to look at uh, the precise language that's being used by both the UK government and the WHO. What they are saying is that there's no evidence to support use of face masks. And I'll hold my hands up and say that when we look at the scientific evidence, it's not compelling. But there's also no compelling evidence for hand washing, in fact. So if we're willing to go down one behavioural route to minimise impacts of COVID-19, in the absence of evidence, we're arguing that the same should apply for face masks. There's a good scientific rationale for face masks. And in the absence of evidence, that doesn't mean there's evidence of no benefit. They're not the same thing. I was not aware that there's no evidence for hand washing. So what we can say is that the evidence for hand washing is flimsy and no less flimsy than the evidence for wearing face masks. There's some studies that show benefit and many studies that don't. And in fact, studies that have looked at face masks combined with hand washing are the most consistent in showing benefit. Assuming they do work then, as, as you say, what would, how do face masks work? So there are two potential mechanisms. First of all, I should say that almost all studies with face masks have been using surgical masks. There's a little bit of an extrapolation when medical masks are limiting as to how effective cloth masks will be. I'm just going to be honest about that. Um, but one benefit, and this is really important in a hospital, is to protect the wearer from incoming droplets that might uh, contain infectious virus. For that, you really need high quality masks, which won't be available for the general public. But the second benefit is to prevent people who uh, are shedding virus that are in just in normal breathing or coughing or whatever, transmitting virus either to other people, into the air, onto surfaces, from reducing that shedding. And there's actually quite good evidence that even cloth masks are pretty effective at that. Uh, so it's really to block transmission. And more and more evidence is now emerging that the maximum amount of viral shedding in patients with COVID-19 is actually happening just before they show symptoms such as cough or fever. So if we're only asking people with symptoms such as cough and fever to wear a mask to protect others, we're actually missing the boat on where it might have maximum effectiveness. There has been some reporting about risks of wearing masks and dangers of wearing masks. Are there any dangers? So I think that we need to categorize these in a couple of different categories. The first one is the issue of complacency. You know, if someone wears a face mask, they might not uh, do other behaviors or measures such as physical distancing or washing their hands. And I think that can be solved by education in the same way that people in the 70s said, 
we shouldn't wear seatbelts because it'll make people drive recklessly, or we shouldn't use condoms in the 80s because people will be more promiscuous. These can be solved by education. The other issue is about contamination of masks, that if a mask is contaminated and we take it off and we then don't wash our hands, we're going to risk contaminating ourselves and, and surfaces. I think that's a real issue. But again, that can be solved by a education. And the second point that's not being discussed by some media outlets is that if your mask is contaminated, by definition, it's already done its job and protected you. Because how can it be contaminated? It can only be contaminated if there are infectious droplets that would have otherwise touched and you know, uh, gone into your mouth or your on, onto your face. So I think we have to be just honest about these issues and then treat the public as, as mature individuals that can uh, weigh up the evidence for themselves. There are some people who kind of have an issue with wearing masks themselves. They fall off. They're not that easy to use, though, are they? I think that that's very fair. And I have to be honest that, you know, when I'm out and about wearing my own uh, mask, uh, going shopping or whatever, I do see some people wearing masks, but they're constantly touching their face, adjusting their mask, all these things. These things can be solved by mass education campaigns. You know, who would have thought three months ago we would have had you know, 400 ads a day telling us how to wash our hands. We just assume people would know how to do it. Why can't we do the same thing for masks? Could you see the UK becoming a nation like South Korea, where face masks are commonplace now? I think that we have to be honest with the public. And I think the public is currently confused. I think we have to say this is mostly an altruistic act. And I think actually the British public are incredibly good at thinking about others. If we say that this is really going to be beneficial only if we all unite, we're actually much more likely to see a public response. And that's the Leader Coronavirus Daily. You can keep up with all the latest COVID-19 developments with the Evening Standard's live blog. And you'll find that at standard.co.uk. And we also have morning briefings available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm.